0: Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always you can find me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Second Row. That's 2ND, not the word second. And if you want to get in touch through email you can at info at the Thanks everyone for listening to these podcasts so far. You can find them literally everywhere from Acast, to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud to Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, it's there. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button as you're listening. My guest this week is someone that the fans of Conor will be fell in love with from
1: day one, it's Jake Heenan.
0: Hi Jake, how are you? How's lockdown and isolation treating you?
1: Mate, not too bad. Um, so we, we've we been back at training for two weeks now, which has been nice, um, sort of a, a little more purpose, I guess, to, uh, to my weeks. Um, yeah, otherwise it was pretty good, like we were still able to get out and, and keep moving, um, was able to hook and do a couple kind of other sort of small projects I would wanted to do, so um, yeah, not too bad.
0: And how were you able to keep fit and training? Did the Bristol kind of sort you out with all the gear or do were you so, had did, did you have your own supply at home?
1: I certainly didn't have my own supply at home. Um, we fleeced the gym. Um yeah, mate, it was, so we had a little a good little gym set up. Um was able to to kind of do enough to take over uh with, without being able to do loads. And uh and, and then we were able to keep up our running, you know, which was which was great, which was, was probably more important than the the weights. And you said you're doing some projects you wanted to work on. What
0: what type of things were you were you doing
1: um so i was i was sort of doing um a bit of studying in investing just my own sort of study um with mainly in real estate um a couple of things i'd, I'd kind of wanted to do before and um hadn't gotten around to so that was that was one thing i, I kind of undertook and the other one was uh just just keep sort of trying to plug away and and uh learn french as, as best i can so Brilliant! As
0: you're kept busy anyway, without the structure of a rugby team.
1: Yeah, mate. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't too bad. We had one of the other boys who was staying with us, and um, yeah, mate, we, we, we had enough fun, and um, uh, you know, it was it was good. It was it was a you know, it was a shame, obviously, we, we couldn't get away and and do things as in a holiday this summer, but it, it was a nice break otherwise.
0: I said the the body must have got a nice bit of healing from it.
1: Oh yeah, mate. The, the body always appreciates a bit of downtime. Um, so yeah, look, I think that was really good. However, like it's it's never much fun that getting back into rugby. You know, you you always <laughs> take a bit of a hiding when you you're getting used to the, the the you know the running load and and then the contact. You know, those aren't um, those aren't heaps of fun. But uh, mate, definitely definitely enjoyed a, a bit of downtime for the body.
0: So we'll just talk about your career as a whole. And you started obviously in in New Zealand. What was that early days of New Zealand rugby like for you?
1: Yeah, mate. I um, you know, when I was at school, I I really liked my rugby, and I, I wasn't I wasn't sure I wasn't entirely sure around the career path, and had a couple of lucky breaks and met a few of the right people, and um, you know, and and mate, I only played rugby in New Zealand to a academy development level. Um, my first fully professional contract was in Ireland was with Connacht Um, so you know mate I I guess I I loved my time playing rugby in New Zealand because it was very much amateur Um, you know a lot of you know really hard work but was you know with a lot of young boys who are really ambitious and really keen and uh, and mate I loved that that was that was great for me so I think that was uh, as well, probably a really good start, uh, a really good stepping stone to the rest of my career is that, you know, sort of gave me the foundations of of the training and, um, you know, the expected level, I suppose, to to springboard off of.
0: And you did captain the New Zealand Baby Blacks at the Under-20 World Cup. That must have been some experience.
1: Mate, that was great. That was, um, you know, that was kind of put a year aside to, to really have a crack at that. and um yeah, look, that was that was incredible to 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 represent um to represent that team and and with that group of men, you know, it was sort of some made some really really good mates in that team. Um, we didn't have the most successful campaign of of New Zealand teams, but you know, we did pretty well. And um, yeah, look, hugely grateful to to have been able to do that. It was it was a bit tough as well, you know, like I I didn't uh, I didn't start neither the semi final or the final, so it was. You know, it, it came with its 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 trials as well, you know, it was obviously the, the highs, but you know, as as a young, very competitive rugby player, it was you know, it was tough as times as well. But um yeah, mate, in, in, in general it was uh yeah, that that was awesome. If
0: you want a snapshot of you as a competitive person and not a successful campaign is getting to the final of an under twenties World Cup.
1: Mate, I, I think I think we were the first New Zealand team not to win. I, I, oh, I genuinely, no. <laughs> I'm I'm almost certain. You can cross reference that. Yeah, I'm almost certain that every New Zealand team had gone and won, and that was kind of the expectation. You know, was that you know we we have this this superior uh, junior rugby program to anyone else in the world. You know, in New Zealand rugby, and I, and I think there's a little bit of that in New Zealand anyway. A, a bit of a superiority um, factor, which is I mean, largely comes you know from results. Um, you know, in the last ten years, I, I suppose in test rugby, but you know that that was kind of the idea then, and and I think that was about the time. Um, you know, they're on the verge. Where everyone else was was catching up pretty quickly, and I think now since then, um, you know, a, a quite a few different teams. Uh, mate, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know exactly, but I'm almost certain England's gone on to win it. France has won it. Uh, obviously, South Africa have won it then. So, I think that the playing field's a lot more even than than obviously it was before i I played twenties, and like you said the
0: Connacht was your first senior contract. How instrumental was Pat Lamb in bringing you over because he was he spotted you in the blues academy
1: yeah, so um Pat actually he picked me out of school um so I was, I was playing school rugby and trial for a blues under 18 and he uh, he was part of that selection process and he actually picked me at 7 I'd never played 7 before and he was the first coach to pick me at 7 so that was that was probably the big one was uh you know as, as the game changed and and I you know developed my game that that grew to a really good fit for me and um and has been since so um but yeah then obviously I I was between contracts um something had come up in the UK, an agent approached me about a couple of clubs looking for English qualified New Zealand seven. So I was having a look in the UK, and uh, yeah, and Pat was looking for a seven at the time, and and uh, asked me to come over. So um, and you know at the time I, I I didn't really want to leave New Zealand. I, I love New Zealand rugby, and and I was had a lot of ambitions there, but um, for me it was a chance to you know to play full-time, you know, and, and get to really work on my craft full-time uh, and, and then get to play against some of the best players in the world. So it was a bit of a no-brainer at the end of the day.
0: And do you remember your, your first appearance as a sub? Because your first cap was against Zebra as a sub that year.
1: Yep. Mate, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I, I actually remember remember a lot of that first season really well. Um, yeah, mate, that was great. Cause I remember. So I think we were sitting first and second on the table at that time. It was fantastic after one game. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I you know it's 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 a really really cool feeling when you you go and you get put in those situations where you have no idea what to expect, you know, you you know you go out there and and you give it your best crack, but you know I'd never played men's professional rugby before, or I'd never played rugby in Europe before, it was, there were so many things that were unknown to me, and it, it was it made so much fun just to get out there and and give it a good crack.
0: And your first start was a kind of bat was a fire an interpro versus Ulster. What are those interpro levels like?
1: Um, yeah, I remember that game too. I remember my first touch of the ball getting getting hit pretty badly, um, which again was just it was just great, you know. Um, at that time, at that time, I probably took it for granted a little bit. Not not in a bad way, not in an ignorant way, but almost in a good way in the fact that you know it was it was another game of footy and you, you just going play as, as hard as you can play. Um, I think, you know, over my five years there, you, you learn to really appreciate the Interpros. Um, just just how significant they were, not just to, to the boys and, and the local boys, but to the whole community, you know. I, I suppose when you're you playing a, a competition like the Pro 14, you know, where you're playing against Italian sides and Welsh sides, which have a lot less relevance, you know, when you do get to line up, you um, against another Irish side, especially with, the you know, there's only three other Irish teams. Um, it's it's really, really special. And and as well, you know, these are guys who are all competing for spots on the national team. And there's only three other guys, you know, who, who also get to wear your jersey. So it's, um, oh, mate, it's, uh, yeah, they, they were huge.
0: And that first season, you're involved in one of Connacht's most historic wins, that game against Toulouse. That's right. That must have been a nice feeling, kind of going. This team, like that, you might not have heard so much about, is is got something about it.
1: Yeah, and I think you know it was. There are a couple of things. It was. Um, one was that we we knew what we were capable of then, and I think what we struggled in, in our first couple of seasons was being able to to back those performances up. You know, we I felt like we were a very emotional team. You know, we we could go and we could go and do that. We'd go and tip Toulouse up and Toulouse and then we could come home and, and you know, lose to the Dragons or, or lose to, you know, sort of below par teams, um, which, which was what we kind of learned to get over, I think, in, in the next year or so. And as well, that was when, you know, everyone, I, I suppose, began to saw the, um the potential of, of what Pat was trying to bring in and, and, um, you know, what What we could be capable of um, if we continued down this path. You were lucky in a sense, because you, when you came to,
0: to Galway, a lot of those stepping stones and building blocks being put in place, like the clan stand, the, the gym was being redeveloped. What did you think of the stories of the Connacht of old when you when you landed?
1: Uh, yeah, mate, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. Because, I mean, even, um, you know, how how many years was it prior, the, the march in Dublin to, to keep Connacht... Um, you know, professional was one of the, the the top four provinces. Um, it it was kind of, you know, it was almost telling of Galway. It was almost telling of the west of Ireland. It was it was a place where you know it felt like nothing had sort of ever historically come easy. Um, where you know you had to punch a bit above your weight. Um, where you were kind of written off a little bit, and. Um, and you know, it's great to have seen, you know, see Connect grow over that time. But it was also nice to, to be brought into that and and the culture that came with that and and the people that were supporting. So I think it was really, it was all a part of of the city, of the culture, of of the people. Um, and you know, and I, I suppose I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed wearing that as a badge of honor as well. You know, when you got to represent uh, Connect. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, I think the chip on the Connacht shoulder is
0: fairly large, and it will be for quite some years to come.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, th- that's it. And I mean, and then you know, and then it's as professionals, then it's it's being able to have that, but still, you know, recognizing the fact that that we're as good as anyone, and and you know, there, there's no need to, you know, it's no need to be to weigh us down per se, you know, it was and that's what, you know, when we were really, really firing, that was what was so special was that we, we had this um, you know, as part of us, but it it didn't matter, you know, it was um that was there and and then we went out and and were able to operate as, as best as we could. How do you funnel those
0: emotions into your performance onto a pitch? Because you know, you like I said you're you're beating written off, you're expected to almost perform better than anyone else to kind of get recognition how do you funnel those into performances week in week out
1: um yeah look i don't i don't personally tend to um to try and let emotion be too much of a factor you know to me i I feel that um you know relying on emotion for performance is 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 a very consistent and 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 can be and it's difficult to replicate as well you know every now and again it it comes off but it's hard to do it every week so um for me there's there's a process to go about things and I guess that starts on on the Monday and, and building into your week and, and and how you prepare for the week um, you know again for me personally I, I like to be really relaxed when I play rugby um, I like to go out and have fun um, and and as well as that, oh, you know on top of that if I do the work in the week and and I've done the work in the weeks previous, uh, you know, I, I know that I'm able to get good performances. So um, so like I said, I think it's it's acknowledging it but not letting it affect you, not letting it be, you know, not, not letting it be a factor in anything you do. At the end of the day, you know, I, I do the things I do because they work um, and because that's how I get performances. Um, and anything on top of that, you know, is either a bonus or it's irrelevant. We'll
0: talk about the 2016 season because... It was a kind of a mad season all around, from the trip to Russia at the beginning of the year to ultimately winning the Pro 12. It was a great year that the, the squad harmony must have been perfect.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always a lot more fun when you're uh, when you're winning games to to when you're not. But I mean, it, it was it was a very competitive environment. You know, I remember um, just more certain that year. You know, it was it, it was. Pretty tense at training at times because people were really competitive and wanting to win. Um, for me personally, I think the first game I played that season was it was actually it was the first of January, uh, which would have been that might have been against the Scarlets. Uh, if I mean, no,
0: no, the Scarlets were at the Lendster, end of the month. Lendster, yeah, Leinster Scarlets at, at the, the end of the month. Yes. Sorry,
1: yeah. yeah. So I'd been out for. Jeez, I've been out for 11 months um, with my third shoulder recon at that stage. So, um, you know, so so for me, that season, as well as, um, you know, obviously, as well as everything else, you know, I'd been staring down the barrel of retirement only, Geez. well, 11 months previous, um, and, and fortunately, everything went really well, and, and I come out of it really well, but... Um, you know, then to come back and play and then to go on the ride that we went on and, and, and win those games was, uh, yeah, mate, was was incredible. And, and as well, you know, like we were had a great start to the season with the World Cup, which was great. And then, which is what happened, then we we dropped a few over the, the Christmas, you know, around the Christmas period. I think we dropped a couple of games in the Interpros. Uh, we picked back up again and you know, and then we, we tipped Glasgow up. And then, oh, you know, you won't beat them in the final, so we were kind of written off a lot as well, which was probably takes a bit of pressure off when, when no one thinks you're going to win anyway. Right?
0: Yeah, no, I, I get what you mean. Like, I, I think that years there's, there's kind of so many little landmarks, like that trip to Russia that you, you didn't travel on, but apparently, there's the stories that it really had a galvanizing effect on the squad, and then the kind of that winning in and Park and like you said that run into the the two Glasgow matches and the final it was a, a season full of landmarks that little things had to happen to kind of almost build to that final that you're just never going to lose
1: yeah yeah look and that's that's all part of it as well isn't it like you say that was all part of of us sort of growing as a group Um, and, and some of those wins were massively part of us growing the confidence and and you know knowing what we could achieve and and the rugby we could play you know and then like you say when it got to the, to the in there and it, it got to the, the knockout games it was you know we've been there we, we've done this we've played this rugby before it, it wasn't new and it wasn't a shock you know I remember those three weeks at the end of the year
0: the, the two games against Glasgow and the game against Leinster the atmosphere around Galway was just electric it was, it was literally different level how, how was it in camp
1: Mate, it it was really good. Like when you get to that stage of the season, um, you know, no one's, you're not trying to reinvent the wheel physically. You know, you're ticking over, you're keeping in good shape. So, you know, you're not getting burnt out uh, at training, which is nice. Um, The trainings are running pretty smooth at that stage because everyone knows what you're doing and uh, it's all operating at a pretty high level. You know, so from the rugby point of view, we were we were very well switched on to what we had to do and doing it well, so that was that was nice. Um, and then, may just <laughs> look a lot of excitement. But then, you know, you know yourself. Um, it's a, a bit of Galway culture and even Irish culture. I believe is very, you know, the boys have a good time. They don't take themselves too seriously. Enjoy each other's company. So, you know, while it was a lot of fun and and it was it was a very well oiled machine professionally. Um, it was pretty relaxed and and you know, and and I think we all in, enjoyed ourselves, you know, a lot as well.
0: What are your memories of the the final against Leinster? Do you have any kind of standout memories off that day?
1: Um yeah, I mean, probably the the bus ride to the ground was one of the first ones. I mean it was it was like the biggest home game I'd ever been to, which which was <laughs> great. And then obviously all the uh all the glasgow fans who had booked their tickets a couple of weeks earlier were all were all there sort of supporting us as well mostly which was great um look i i, I remember it being um i really i remember really enjoying it that was one of the, you know my big goals for the, for that game and that weekend was was to enjoy it because i knew how fast it would go you know so i remember really enjoying it um i remember it being quite a relaxed uh you know, sort of occasion, there was there was never any worry in the squad. I think Pat handled it really well. It wasn't, you know, it was never a case of reinventing as well. We we, we knew what we had to go and do and we knew we could do it. Um, so, you know, for me, it was, it was just about sort of being relaxed and enjoying it. Um, I remember, yeah, I remember sort of going to the field the day before and just having to look around and, um, you know, just kind of soaking it all in. Um and, and in the game, you know, the the pace early in the game, yeah. You know, th- those games you they always start really quickly and, and you struggle to sort of catch your second win. So I, I remember that pretty well and, and thinking we're in for a tough day at the office. But uh but yeah, those those are probably the big ones. Then after that obviously we had a lot of fun as well, but uh but yeah then the next two weeks are pretty much a blur from all from all accounts oh, I, I think four days later i woke up and thought i was about to die so um <laughs> so yeah mate that was like that was a lot of fun after that and i think my uh, my brother was over at the time as well and you know we, we haven't lived in the same city for oh geez how i older now probably probably 15 years so it was uh, you know that was really special and um yeah mate it was it was a really really cool week
0: that's kind of one of the things you the Connacht natives kind of forget that you know that you've traveled from New Zealand and your family like your brother would have traveled to the game like it just gives it that extra special moment for you to have a family member around where you say someone like me would take it for granted that players would have their families there
1: yeah I mean I, I think you know we've kind of always um yeah, you know, my, my brother geez he moved to England I think when he was 15 uh we've always been very close but you know, and we, since we were young, we were always encouraged to, you know, not necessarily go to the other end of the world, but we're always encouraged to leave the nest and, and, and go out and make something of ourselves, you know. So, um, yeah, so I, I suppose it's never something I'd given too much thought, but. Like you say, then when it does roll around the other way and you do have family around, um I remember even next season, uh, you know, my, my dad and my two young brothers come over as well and I think we played Edinburgh at home and, and it was fantastic, you know. It was it was so nice to you know, to be able to bring them and, and show them um something that, you know, not not just the game that you love, but but the people that are there and and the stadium and everything that which means so much to you, it was so nice to be able to bring my family into that, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I get exactly what you mean. The next year after that that Pro 12 win, what was camp like? Uh, Pat announced he was leaving. It must have felt like you wish you could be able to get back to those levels again, but just things didn't click as well. And I'd say teams had you found out a small bit?
1: I think what, what was probably tricky initially was that... Um... I believe the season ran over a little bit with the World Cup, and the next one they started a bit earlier. Um, and Pat gave us all a you know a good break, which you know I might always always appreciate a good break after a season. It's you know the seasons in the Northern Hemisphere are, are so long and, and very taxing. So especially after you know we had had to play an extra few weeks at the end of it with the finals, so we were given our break, and then you know the season rolled around pretty quickly. I think we had a maybe a four week pre-season which you know I, I suppose a normal pre-season you'd be looking at maybe 8 to 12 weeks uh, this season I think we had probably more like 16 plus weeks with the World Cup so we didn't really have much of a pre-season and you know like you said um, uh, maybe it was a little bit of that but but I think you know even the, you know that year we won it there was you know everyone had figured us out they just couldn't stop it that kind of way you know and, and 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 like now, you know, with the way the game is with um, you know, with video analysis, everyone almost, you know, very close, everyone figures everyone out, but it it's just it's just what you're able to do about it. So um so I I think that preseason hurt us and then, you know, the thing with uh team like Connect and especially then is is we didn't have the money to have the big squads um you know, to to always be at that, that top level. And, and I mean, that's, again, it's not me complaining about the money, but it's just, I think when when things get tough and maybe you get a few injuries, it's a lot tougher for a team like Connick than, say, a team like Leinster that has so much quality in their second and third team. Um, whereas we probably lack the depth to, to have a deep finals run and then bounce back after a quick preseason. Um and then you know, it's I, I suppose running into the season, with the seasons being so long. Um, if if you don't get off to a really good start, you, you get left behind pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I get what you mean. It's not a complaint. It's more that's just a fact of life when of living in Galway and having a less population and a smaller crowd and all those type of things. It's just they're just things that you as players and teams have to contend yeah. with. Yeah, exactly.
1: And and I mean. And it's normally not an issue. Um, you know, most seasons it wasn't. But just in those uh, exceptional circumstances, it, it became pretty tough, you know.
0: What was life like in Connacht after Pat left? So you're in your final season, what was that year like? Because I know Pat had a very galvanizing effect on the team, Kieran came to with a very different coach.
1: Yeah, look, I, it was, um, you know, obviously I, I was had a lot of injuries that season, so it was, uh, wasn't was the best way for me to bow out. But, um, yeah, I think it was, you know, it was a new coach and there were some new players and we are trying to play some different rugby, so that was always going to be a bit tricky. Um, you know, as, as well as that, there was a bit of a feel of we wanted to do things differently to Pat, um, which, you know, look, in, in some... Situations in some senses, I thought was a good thing to, you know, if you're trying to freshen up and do things new. But, you know, at, at times, uh, maybe we didn't need to, you know, steer too far, steer too far away from from things that had worked previously. But, look, you you know, whenever you get a new coach or a new leader, a new boss, anywhere, they're going to want to put their stamp on things, and um, you know, so yeah, I think it was it was a bit of um you know a bit of that sort of the the gears moving uh, as change was happening and you know and and Kieran wanting to not only put a stamp on the game but you know he wanted to bring in some of his players and um you know and there were a few players that he probably considered Pats players that you know he wasn't as keen on so there was just a little bit of i suppose no, natural friction you'd have you know whenever you bring in a new coach
0: you've mentioned injuries once or twice how do you, as a person, deal with that? Because it can be quite isolating for a player when, when, when they're injured. Because I know I remember hearing a couple of years ago that effectively injured players train on their own. They're on different schedules to the main squad and everything. It's quite an isolating life.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends on the setup, but but sometimes, it, yeah, it can be. Um yeah, look, it, it can be really hard. I was fortunate enough that that when my first injury rolled around, I was, I was well enough established within Connacht, uh, within the team, within the community that it didn't have as bigger effect on me. As as well, when my first injury came, um, you know, I was I was still twenty one years old and and I was still as keen as so, um, you know, I was I was able to really really tear into it um, as. You know, my my third and fourth injury, I, I'd probably learnt to to give myself a a bit more leeway early on, and you know, and and just to really attack attack it more. You know, the the work when you're getting closer to playing. Um, but no, you know, I've I've good mates of mine who have who have actually suffered from depression from from being in situations where you know that they weren't established, they were injured, and, and then like you say, that they're almost removed from. Um, the social, you know, a lot of the social aspects of rugby and yeah, it, made it, it can be really tough. So fortunately enough for me, um, you know, I had enough good people around me, um, you know, as, as well as, uh, you know, my own sort of professional ambitions that, that it, it didn't get to me too badly. And I was always secured, you know, I never had that issue where I was, I was injured just before You know, I was coming up to contract kind of thing. I'd always had my contract squared off, which was another, you know, really fortunate in my case. So, yeah, I think a bit of luck, but as well, having good people around you helped. How
0: did the move to Bristol come around? Did Bristol reach out to your agents and people or was Pat an instrumental person in that move?
1: Oh, look, it was, you know, it was all communication I had with Pat, um you know he obviously I'm English qualified so um there was always that aspect it was always going to be an option for me so you know look we'd spoken and and that had been something that was potentially on the cards um you know coming around to then uh I I think for me I'd I'd kind of you know I, I'd really wanted to to try and play for Ireland you know I'd I'd really wanted to you know, even even if it was just a cap, that was something I'd really set set my uh, my eyes on. And and look, that that didn't sort of come through. I think the year after we won it, um, we didn't have a great season, but but I think that was one of the best seasons I personally have ever played. Uh, it was also the Lions tour, so I think there were three back rowers from Ireland were on that. Uh, you know, and I still missed out on the on the the Irish. Um, I think there's the Irish tour to Japan that year, so. You know that was that that kind of seemed like like a a big opportunity for for me, which which you know, uh, which I I didn't capitalize on. So after that, I I think it was kind of it, it was time for me to move on. Um, and look, whether that was in in England with Pat or or looking to France or or Japan, you know, I, I think mentally I was ready to to go and try something new, you know.
0: Had you had discussions with Joe Schmidt pre that tour or the twelve months before that tour to Japan uh, about possibly being in the Irish squad?
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, he he, you know, he knew uh, where I was at, and um, and we had, um, you know, we had had sort of talks about, um, you know, a couple of talks about about my game and that kind of thing, and um, you know, I was initially I was in the what is it the the forty is it a forty-two man squad? Um initially when, you know, the sort of the paper squad as it were. So, you know, I'd made that and um you know, so I wasn't I wasn't really far off, but you know, I was and, and I think as well for me, um there was there was always controversy around uh foreign players who who were qualified for Ireland, you know, playing for Ireland and, and there still is today and Look, rightfully so, but I, I wasn't. I wasn't sort of. I don't think I was good enough to to be excluded from that. If you know what I mean, like a, a player like Bundy Aki, although you know, not Irish qualified by birth, you know, he, he's that good of a player that nobody's going to complain too much. If you know what I mean, and, and that wasn't me. You know, I was. I was. You know, I, I think I was good enough, but I wasn't. That much better than anyone else, especially you know you had Dan Levy and and Josh Venderley, you had some some really outstanding players there as well. Um, that that I don't think I was that far ahead of anyone else to to give myself the right to to wear the Irish jersey. If you had like for me,
0: it's about buying into the community and yourself. And say Bundy, you you bought into Connacht in Ireland. You know it wasn't kind of a come over get a cap type of thing it was more I'm coming here to play my rugby and to be involved in this community and playing for Ireland is just kind of more the natural next step and that's from my perspective you know for someone like you and Bundy that's just how it would feel and I know there's controversy for some people but it would feel natural for well us as Connacht fans to see you play for Ireland. Had yeah. you done so?
1: Yeah, and that's, that's the way I felt too, you know. Like, like I, I really, you know, felt that Galway and, and Ireland was my home. And, you know, the other thing for me as well is, as is, you know, not only of, of being capped, you know, is then I, I would have almost definitely finished my career in Ireland and, and who knows – you know, stayed there thereafter. You know, so I mean, there's all that as well. But that was, I, I think, the problem with the qualification lay in the fact that people were being signed to qualify, whereas you know that I just I, that just doesn't quite sit well with anyone, if you know what I mean. I, I mean, if I'd been signed to come and play and and then qualified as a natural progression. It, it just it comes across a lot differently than the fact that, oh look, this guy can't play for New Zealand. If we get him over here, we he can play for us in a few years. Um which, you know, I, I don't think is the right way to to approach the issue. Um and mate, I completely agree with you, you know, I think there uh you know there are people, you know, born in Ireland or or people who maybe have Irish grandparents who have come and played for Ireland and who have who have given half as much to Irish rugby than a player like Bundy Aki you know and and I mean like you're saying I I think it's it's that buy into the community and and you know what you're giving back to to Irish rugby as well. I think you've done the same over in Bristol you have that kind
0: of community buy-in what's life like in Bristol for you?
1: It's it's been different you know a lot of the it's a lot of the things I really enjoy about Bristol are things I didn't enjoy in Galway and vice versa a lot of things I really enjoy about Galway are things that, that you don't get here in Bristol so um, you know for, for instance being in a bigger city and not being the biggest sports team in that city um, you know you feel a lot more It's you're a lot more anonymous you're a lot more get about your day to day which comes you know, which is really positive in some aspects, and and then you kind of miss you miss that that real sort of small community feel of of Galway as well. Um, I think it's it's probably it, it feels like we're you know like I'm competing in a in a probably a tougher pool. You know, like I think when I first come to Connacht to when I first arrived at Bristol, um, you know, there's there's a lot of talent here in Bristol in in, in terms of the players and. And the playing squad, um, and obviously with the resources and we have, and, and then you know the stadium, uh, the new training facilities is is um you know is is all is all world class. So there's probably that that real aligned ambition um, here at Bristol, which which probably took a year or so in in connect, I think. Yeah, and look. Other than that, I, I suppose it's just it's just the whole the whole city thing, you know. Just being in a in a slightly bigger city, and um, you know, and being able to see new places and 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 meet new people has has been really nice.
0: Yeah, you're you're a fan of of travel, especially in Europe. Bristol must have a a better airport connection than than Galway
1: did, anyway. Oh, gee, tell me about it, mate. That uh, I I think when I fly back to Ireland from New Zealand, I think the hardest part of that journey was the the two and a half hour city link. Bus ride at the end, it uh, it just about break you.
0: <laughs> has Pat changed as a coach? He only like missed out on him as a year, but has his philosophy changed, or has he changed how he communicates with players?
1: Not particularly. Um, I mean, Pat's the sort of coach that that he'll never sit on one game plan for too long. You know, we're we're always developing our game to to beat the next team or just to grow it, you know, for, for the future and which is, you know, which is part of the fun of playing with them. It, it doesn't feel like, a, you know, i played with the same coach for, uh, what is it? Six years now. And I by no means have played one brand of rugby, you know, we've played so much different rugby and so many, you know, and, and I keep learning about rugby and I'm, I'm always learning <laughs> about how to play the game, which is, you know, which, which is pretty cool considering I've been coached by one coach for so much of you know, my career. um, you know, I, I think here we probably have. You know, th- there are more experienced international players. That you know, there's a bit of that, that, um, that bit of that takeover from those boys, and, and those boys are able to help drive the squad a lot, which you know, which, which helps. So, uh, but yeah, look. Otherwise, I, I, you know, I think he's he's still on on top of rugby as as much as he's ever been. He's. Um, you know he he must work incredibly hard he, he must watch some amount of rugby footage because he's he knows the game as well as everyone and, and we're always as we did in Connick trying to develop our game to you know to be better than than anyone else
0: what was it like when you've gone from John Muldoon being your captain to now being one of your coaches that must be a, a bit of a surreal experience or is he kind of pretty much the same but with
1: a different kit on Mate, yeah, look, there's not too much, you know, like me and John are still good mates and, um, and I, I suppose we, we always had a, you know, a, a social relationship as well as a professional relationship and, and that hasn't changed at all, you know, maybe, maybe the professional relationship takes a bit more, um, you know, uh, you wear the professional hat a, a bit more now, you know, with him being in a coaching role, but I mean, yeah, look our, our relationship hasn't changed too much I don't think, and I, th- I think as well he's always, you know very well educated on the game when he played, um, he was an exceptional leader um, you know, and, and the fact that he knew when he needed to lead and, and when he needed to take a step back And and so it's been quite a natural transition for him, and um, you know, and, and he's always been quite an easy guy to listen to as well. So, so it hasn't, uh, yeah, it hasn't been too, too strange anyway. I don't think.
0: And does he seem to have his own philosophy on how things should be done, especially in the forwards that you've learned from any more so than you would have done while playing for him?
1: Yeah, I think he's um. He was our defence coach last year, and he's he's moved into that forwards role this year. Uh, I think he's he's. I feel like I've kind of seen him pick up things from from really good coaches that we've had you know in our time at Connacht and um, you know and and obviously with Pat and that so so he's he's no different to you know to Pat in the sense that that he's Changing the way he does things, you know, as the season went on, our defence, no mean, by no means, stayed the same. You know, it, it it evolved as other teams evolved, as we evolved, as the game evolved. So, um, so yeah, he's, I suppose, he's sort of carried his playing philosophy on, but adapted it to coaching.
0: Yeah, no, I get you what you mean. And before before I let you go, you've given back to the community wherever you wherever you've been, especially in terms of mental health. You work to tackle your feelings and in ireland how has that experience helped you in a in an an odd time like this and have you helped other people in the weird times we live in at the moment
1: um yeah look look i I try to you know i sort of tried to i suppose lend a hand in the community and and help out where you can like i'm not always sure how much you know how much help it is you you know you always like to think you're doing a lot but um you know there are always bigger issues and there are always people who need it more or um you know so it's it's a, probably a hard one for me to quantify in that sense but um oh you know look yeah I, I suppose you, you do your best and and you know you you try to be there when you can but yeah look times like these are, are, are definitely strange and um you know you, you hope that the people who who you're close to and, and the people you do have an influence on you know that they know that you're available and 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 you know if they're not learning something you they just you know like I say they, they know you're there and, um, and and you sort of pull through things like this together because I think that's you know with any tough time as as is, um, is, is just knowing that you've got people on your side and you know, I know the tough times that I've had having two or three good mates is, is all it's been to to make sure, you know, to, to, to pull you through that. So I, I'd like to think that, that that's the case anyway.
0: And I know a lot of people kind of struggle to reach out in general. Um, I think you have kind of given people that ability to kind of go, it's okay to ask questions with given how you've promoted mental health over, over your time as a professional rugby player.
1: Yeah, look, I think um, – yeah, I, I think that that stigma is by no means gone. You know, I, I think that was, and and that was something you know definitely in Ireland, I noticed was was you know people were very reserved with their feelings, uh, especially men. Um, you know, and and that's that's kind of part of the culture in Ireland. So you know, I think that that stigma's is being worn down. Um, it's yeah, look again, you know, that was that was certainly the aim of of that campaign and. And again, I certainly hope it it was able to help, but, you know, these things are, they they are difficult to quantify, but yeah, you know, and I I suppose, you know, you you see all these, these really positive movements uh, happening, you know, obviously the, the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and then, you know, there's been this continual push for, um, you know, to the to relieve mental health stigma, you know, it's all been really positive and and, you know, I, I think you'd you'd have to be hiding under a rock to to not have noticed that that sort of positive change.
0: Yeah, it's it's been good and I think in an Irish context, in a Galway context, in the Cog context, you were kind of a real voice of cha- voice for change many before it became a larger conversation that it's become now and a larger thing that I think we're all going to be looking to utilize and get help with all as people struggle to readjust to normal life again
1: yeah and like you say i think that's that's probably been pretty important through this time you know and um yeah so in in that sense the 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 timing of of all of this maybe you know if this has been a few years earlier perhaps it would have been more difficult so it's you know it's always good to to be on top of those things
0: yeah exactly and on that we're we're getting kind of as we're getting back to a bit more hopeful notes and hopeful times i'll let you get back to your day and thanks very much for coming on having a chat about your career
1: thanks uh thanks Paul. it's no problem
0: at all i really enjoyed it thanks again jake for coming on it was great to listen to you don't forget everyone to like share and subscribe to the podcast get in touch if there's anyone else you'd like to hear from i'll be back next week so until then stay safe